welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Well, let's get into the Word of God uh, today. And I've just been so blessed going through this generosity series. We have heard, you know, so many stories, so many testimonies of of people, you know, taking a step of faith and, and, and stepping out of their natural and normal comfort zone and really trusting God with their finances. In fact, you know, I know some of the stories that I've shared might seem a little bit outlandish that even Thursday here at Bible study say, Pastor, are those stories true? I said, no, I just make them up because they sound really good. No, every story, every testimony that I shared is absolutely true. In fact, I got a call from a young lady uh, out of our Del Rio campus this week. Her mom made her call and, and she said, Pastor, she's got something to tell you. So I'm like, okay. She says, well, I really didn't believe in the whole tithing, but you know what? I've been hearing the messages and I decided to put it to the test. She said that she tithed for the first time last week and this week she made double what she's already been making. Those are the kinds of, come on, give God some praise for that. That's just one, but, but we have heard testimonies of, of healings, of, of restoration, healings in, in, in body, so many things that God is doing because God is faithful and true to his word. The Bible says that when we step out in faith and we honor God with our tithes and our offering, that he will rebuke the hand of the devourer and he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't even have room to receive it. I don't know about you, but I know God's not done yet because I still got some room. How many of y'all still got some room for more blessing, all right? So I know that as long as we got room, it means it's not over. Tell your neighbor, he's not done yet. So we've been talking about the three levels of generosity, the three levels of generosity. The first level is obedience, right? Obedience. It talk, this is where we apply our tithes in our first truth. The second level is that of sacrifice, and this speaks to our offerings, those things that we give to God. And today we are going to start what I, I thought it was going to be a, a, a just a, a one Sunday sermon, but as I began to go through my notes yesterday, I said, man, I'm going to have these people here for three hours, okay? And so I didn't think y'all wanted to listen to me for three hours. I don't even want to listen to myself for three hours. So I, I started chopping it up and, 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 and paring it down. So we're probably going to do a two-part series on the third level of, of generosity, which is worship, and that speaks to extravagant offerings. So we talked about level one. Level one is our obedience. That is our tithes and our first fruits. And, and what, what tithing and first fruits is, it's our opportunity to show that God is first in our life. And we've talked about how tithing is not necessarily giving God anything. We're just returning to God what belongs to him. The Bible says the tithe belongs to the Lord. You can't give me something that already belongs to me. You can only give me something that belongs to you. And so when we come and we offer up our tithes, we're not giving God anything out of our own resources or out of our own economy. We're just saying, okay, God, I'm showing you that I am faithful to return to you what belongs to you. One of the things that we talked about is that you tithe where you get fed. You tithe wherever you congregate. That's a principle of tithing. We also talked about how true tithing comes from 
a grateful heart, not necessarily a legalistic mind. Our attitude and our mindset of tithing should be one done out of gratitude. When we offer the tithe, we are telling God, I thank you because it is you that has given me the ability. You have given me the skills. You allowed me to get the education. You allowed me uh, uh, to push through the adversities of life to be able to work. You've given me breath. You've given me health. You've given me strength. There are people today that are unable to work because they have a condition, a physical condition. So even though you complain about having to get up tomorrow morning for work, you need to wake up and say, God, I thank you because I'm still breathing. I thank you because I am still healthy. I thank you because you have kept me. Because you have kept me, I can go to work. I can earn a living. So when we tithe, we are giving God out of our grateful heart. Now, obedience is doing things God's way. And that's how, how, how we, we've got to approach everything. We must do things God's way. We understood that obedience comes before sacrifice. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God prefers obedience over sacrifice. Obedience is where we start. And why is obedience so important? Because our obedience will activate the blessing. Our obedience activate the blessings. And the principle of the tithe is to test our heart. But one of the reasons that God requires the tithe is because when we bring the tithe, he is faithful to bless everything that we have left over. He is faithful to bless everything that we have left over. And so the principle in scripture is that the, if the root is holy, so the branches and the fruit are holy. If the first part of the dough is blessed, then the rest is blessed. So what God is saying, I want to bless everything that you have, but I don't need you to give or bring everything you have. Just give me the first 10% and I will bless everything everything in your home. And, and we have seen this. We have taught this principle. We have lived this. And we have heard testimonies after testimonies. I did a series on this a couple years ago. And we had a single mother out of Del Rio that was living in Section 8, that was living on food stamps. When she heard the word of God, she said, oh God, I know it's not your will. I'm grateful for the help that the government has helped me with. But I know that it's not your will for me to stay, to, to be a slave to that. I know you want to bless me. And I I know you want to prosper me. She took a step of faith, began to honor God. And let me tell you today, God has blessed her. She has gotten out of that income. She has gotten out of that state because she chose to believe God and take God at his word. The principles of God are true and faithful. The next level is level two, is the level of sacrifice. It's a level of offering. So along with the tithe, God has required offerings. Remember, we read in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 he says how have you robbed me he said well how have you robbed me you say you have robbed me with the tithes and the offering so along with the tithe God requires offering so tithing is returning to God what belongs to him so when we tithe we aren't essentially giving him anything from what is ours but when we give offerings that is what we are giving to God out of our gratitude for what he has done and how he has blessed us. And it is those offerings that are the seeds that we sow 
in the kingdom. The Bible teaches us a principle. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And if you didn't hear last week's message, I, you, you've got to hear it because I talk about the principles that govern the seed time and harvest or the planting and harvest. And when you begin to apply those, those principles, let me tell you that God will literally blow you away. God will literally blow you away. I, I said, I, I shared a testimony of a lady from our Del Rio campus that last year when we were talking about the first fruit, she was in a situation where her, her husband's on disability. She doesn't have any way to earn an income. They were struggling financially. They didn't even have a car. And so she said, God, I, I want you to bless me. And I know that in order for you to bless me, that I have to be able to give. She said, God, if you bless me with something to give, I will give it back to you. And so around the time that we were doing our first fruits offering, God blessed with $300. Now, this is a lady that was in a dire financial situation, and she knew that, man, I could really use this for food, for groceries, for, for electricity. You know, I, I, I could use this, but she said, God, you gave it to me so I can give, and I am going to return everything that you've given me. And what happened? She gave that $300 seed that God, remember the principle of the, the, the planting and harvest is that God gives seed to the sower. You've got to realize that oftentimes when God blesses you, he blesses you with seed and he blesses you with strategy. And oftentimes we confuse the seed with the blessing. And oftentimes we think it's the blessing, but God is saying, I'm giving you the seed. And if you plant the seed, remember the principle is you will always reap more than you sow. Because planting and harvesting brings a, 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 an abundance of multiplication. So what did she do? She gave that $300 offering. Within a week, she got a call from a stranger that said, I know that you are in need. And God told me that I need to buy you a car because she had no vehicle. Like, isn't, isn't that, how many of you would like to get a car like that? I thought more people, I don't know, I'd be like raising two hands. Man, that's amazing. So she was grateful and she was excited and blessed. But not only that, this is, this is a miraculous story. What happened after that? That same individual, that same man said, you know what? I'm going to buy your car. He said, but God's not done yet. God told me that I need to give you some more money. I need to help you out. And he wrote her a check for $30,000. Yes, wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I would take that deal. But oftentimes you have to realize that that giving is an act of faith. Remember, it is faith is the, is is how the kingdom of God operates. And oftentimes God's not going to say, "Well, if you give three hundred, I'll give you thirty thousand," because that would be too easy. We'd be doing it for the wrong reasons. Remember, God God is more impressed with why we do what we do than what we do. God is always impressed with the motivations of our heart. He wants you to do things for the right reasons. That's why the Bible says in Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. So here at Axis Church, we don't give to get. We give out of gratitude. We give out of obedience. We give out of faithfulness. And because we give, then God will bless. It is a principle. And so she didn't know what she was going to receive. She didn't know the abundance of harvest that was going to come her way. But because she stepped out in faith, she received an amazing blessing. Now imagine how her life would be so different if she would have fallen prey to the fear. 
Because let me tell you, every time you're going to give, the devil's going to show up. Every time the devil's go, you, you're going to give and you purpose and set in your heart, the devil's going to show, show up and he's going to give you an abundance of reasons of why you shouldn't give. He's going to remind you about the credit card payment. He's going to remind you uh, uh, about the school uniforms. He's going to be reminding you uh, uh, about the doctor's bills. He's going to remind you about the rent. He's going to remind you about how high the gas prices are. He's going to tell you all of the reasons why you shouldn't give. And if this lady would have fallen prey to the the fear she would have missed out on the harvest that God remember that is the that is the way the kingdom of God operates and we talked about last week how you know God created a need within the prophet so that the widow could be blessed what would have happened if the prophet would have showed up at the widow's house and the widow would have said uh-uh I can't feed you I, I can't I can't give food take food out of my son's mouth just so I can feed you what would have happened if she would have fallen prey to the fear she would have missed out on the blessing that God had for you so you've got to understand that every time God moves in your heart to sow or to give is because God wants to bless you so that is the level of sacrifice but after the level of sacrifice there is another level and that is the level that I call worship or extravagant giving. Now, unfortunately, most believers today will never even get to the first level. In fact, every study and every survey done today indicates that only a small fraction of the people who claim to be Christians or believers actually tithe consistently. Do you know here in the United States, one of the most blessed, if not the most blessed countries in the world, on average, only 12 to 14% of the people actually faithfully support the church financially. That's crazy, right? I can honestly say at Access Church, that's not the case. Aren't you excited for that? We are a blessed church. We are a generous church, and we are a giving church. That is not the case. But unfortunately, the reality is, is that most believers will never even get to that first level. Why? Because they will struggle with the tithe. The enemy will come in and will convince them that they can't afford to tithe. And every time somebody tells me, Pastor, I can't afford to tithe, you know what my response is? You can't afford not to. Because the Bible says that when you give God the tithe, he will rebuke the hand of the devourer over your life. So the reality is very few believers ever get to that first rung of the ladder of giving. And consequently, they will never experience or get the glimpse of the joy, the fun, and the blessing that one experiences when you begin to give at the higher levels. But those who do get to that first level, usually they're the ones that can move on to the next one, the second one, and the third one. Why? Because tithing removes the curse and opens the windows of heaven over us. So if we start to tithe, we are more much likely to start giving offerings as the Lord will lead and direct. Now, I got the concept of, of this third level of generosity or of being worshipped from the story of when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 2. Remember, Abraham, was, was, was him and his wife were already very old, and, and they, were, they had been praying for a, a child. They had been praying for a son. And one day, God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm, I'm going to bless you so much, and your descendants are going to be more 
more numerous than the stars. It's going to be more numerous than the sand uh, on the beach. That is how I'm going to bless you. Now, when, when you receive a blessing like that, it's easily to get excited. But when you see the reality of your physical ability, you're already up in age. And God is telling you, I'm going to bless you. Then it's easy to question and doubt. In fact, when Jesus himself showed up in the Old Testament and told his wife Sarai that she was going to have a child, she actually laughed at God. Because she's like, that's crazy. How can me being almost 90 years old, that, that's impossible. There's no way. I've already passed the time, already passed. But I'm here to tell you that when God chooses to bless you, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what level of education. It doesn't matter what you work in. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. When God decides to bless you, there is nothing in heaven or in hell that can stop the blessing of God on your life. And yet she... She laughed at God. She's like, that's funny. And God said, I'm going to get the last laugh. And there she was at 90 years old, pregnant as a plow. I don't know how a plow ever looks pregnant, but it just kind of rhymes. So 90 years old. And I imagine every day she felt the discomfort of pregnancy. She felt the, the pain. She remembered the word that God is faithful. So what happens? They have this, this son named Isaac. And one day, God tells Abraham, you know that son that you prayed for, that son that you fasted for, that son that you thought would never come? Now, I want you to do something. I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son. Can you imagine how Abraham must have felt in that moment? Like, wait, wait a minute, God, are you, you know, I almost said Indian giver, but we don't say that anymore, right? Oh, we did, did I say it? We say crisscross applesauce. Well, that's not how we said it back in, when I was in school. But God, you give something and you don't take it back. But God was saying, this son that you prayed for, this son that I gave to you, you're going to give him back to me. Abraham was faithful, said, God, okay, we're going to do this. But look at what happens. Genesis 22, verse 1 through 5, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac. Like God says, hey, I'm making it clear, you're not going to give the other one because we know what happened if you don't know what happened, it's a great novella. Go, go read it. Whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. What it said in the very first verse, it said, God tested Abraham's faith. You've got to understand that generosity in giving are always a test. God doesn't need our money. The Bible says that God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all of the gold and all of the silver. God owns all of the resources. But when God moves in your heart to give, it's always to test a test of your obedience. It is a test of your faithfulness. And it will always be a test of your faith. And it said here that God tested Abraham's faith. He said, that son that you prayed for, that son that you longed for, that that son that you cried for, now I want you to give him back to me. 
And look at how Abraham responded. In verse 3, it says, The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham gets the, the, the test from God. He, he responds in obedience. Remember, obedience is greater than sacrifice. That's where it starts. He responds in obedience. He gets everything ready. Now, you've got to know that, that Isaac, his son, he was not five. He was not 12. We can, we can kind of ascertain that Isaac was already about 40 years old when God called Abraham to sacrifice him. And so he says, gathers everything up. They get to the foot of the mountain. And look at what Abraham tells his servants in verse 5. He says, stay here with the donkeys. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little further, for we will go worship, and we will come right back. And that's when it dawned on me. I was actually in Bible college a long time ago when I saw that what you and I call sacrifice, Abraham called worship. What, what, what a, 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 a different mindset. What a different perspective. You know, sometimes we're struggling with the things that God is calling us to do. And here Abraham was about to sacrifice his most prized possession. The biggest blessing that he had ever received. God is saying, I want you to offer it. I want you to give it. And Abraham didn't have a mindset of sacrifice. He didn't have a mindset of God. How, how could you? How dare you take away that thing that you gave me? His mindset was a mindset of worship. See, the difference between sacrifice and worship is in the perspective. Sacrifice is I'm giving something up to God. Worship is I'm offering up something for God. And Abraham wasn't saying, I'm giving him up to you. He said, God, you gave him to me. I'm giving him back to you. And you know, the fact is that many believers will never taste the joy of giving an extravagant offering to the Lord. But I know you can, just as many, as most of the remarkable figures in the Bible did. For instance, King David. King David gave an, exact, an extravagant offering to the Lord to pave the way for the building of the temple by his son Solomon. Do you know how much of his own money David set aside for the building of the temple? In fact, imagine this. David had in his heart, the Bible says that it was David's heart. It was his passion to build a temple for the Lord. But God said, you know what, David? You've shed too much blood in your life. I can't allow you to do that. I can't allow you to, to participate in this. You've already shed too much blood. Now, a lot of people like, like, really, God, I can't believe you. I want to do something good for you. But because of what David had done in his life, God said, it's not for you to build. And a lot, and a lot of people, and most of us would have been, been bitter. Most of us would have thrown a temper tantrum when things don't work out our way. But God says, you know what? It's not your way. But what did David do? David didn't stop there. He says, well, if I can do it, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that my son can fulfill my heart. And so David set aside out of his own money, if we would convert it in today's currency, it would be approximately $21 billion. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an extravagant gift even for a king. Now, why, why could David 
so easily offer such an extravagant gift. You know why? Because he knew that everything he had came from God and God alone. See, that's why Abraham understood when, when God called Abraham to give his son Isaac, he said, God, you gave him to me. He really belongs to, he really belongs to you. And I think some of us parents have to realize that our children don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. God just entrusted them into our care. They he God entrusted them for us to steward their, their ministries, for us to steward their destinies and their purpose. But Abraham knew that everything he had came from God and so it belonged to God. And David had the same mindset. In fact, look at what it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 13, and 14. It says, Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? For everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave to us. Why could David so easily give all of he, that he gave is because he understood God. I'm not really giving you anything. The reality is, if I have anything, it's because you first gave it to me. It's because you blessed me. And in fact, in Psalm 24, he re reiterates the same concept. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. And even in the New Testament, James, Jesus' actual physical brother, writes this in James 1.17. He says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Even James, Jesus' physical brother, understood that every blessing, everything we have comes from God. And when we live with that in our, in our hearts, when we understand and get a revelation, that everything that we have isn't ours. It really belongs to God because it is God that has given it to us. When God asks us for things, we're going to have an attitude of worship and an attitude of surrender, not an attitude of sacrifice. And the fact is that most believers today, they don't have an attitude of surrender. They have an attitude of sacrifice. They think, man, that's a lot of money. That, that's, that's too much to give to the church. Or that's too much to give. But when you understand that it is God that gives us the health, it is God that gives us the intellect, it is God that gives us the ability, it is God that blesses us with all of the resources that we have, how could we give him anything if it already came from him? Another example of an extravagant gift in the Bible was David's son Solomon. How, how many of you know that generous people beget generous people? Generous parents usually have generous children most of the time. I know some of your kids think you're like a walking ATM. They just put in the magic pin and they get money out of it, right? I know. I, I saw a meme on, on Facebook uh, uh, a, a few months ago. It says, having a daughter is like having a broke breast friend who thinks you're made out of money or something like that. Like, and how many mamas that have daughters agree with that? <laughs> But Solomon learned to be generous because he saw generosity in his father. See, oftentimes we lose the impact. Remember, we talk about legacy here at Access Church. That is one of our core values, that we are a church that believes in legacy. And one of the legacies that you can give your children is generosity. 
And if they see you be generous, if they see you give, if they see you give extravagantly, that's going to be their natural response. And so it doesn't surprise me that another example of an extravagant gift in Scripture is that of Solomon. And Solomon became known around the world as the most wise man who ever lived. But do you know how King Solomon got all of that wisdom? If you don't, go back and read 1 Kings chapter 3. But I'm going to, I'm going to give you the ESPN uh, version, the sports center. So Holloman, so Holloman, Solomon, Dean, oh. Dean and BB just had to be here for that, right? Solomon, not Holloman, had just been anointed as king. And according to the tradition, he was supposed to go offer an offering to the Lord. He was to sacrifice one bull. And so on the day of his anointing, on the day that he ascended the throne, do you know what Solomon did? He went and sacrificed. He didn't sacrifice one bull. He sacrificed a thousand bulls. Can you imagine what his, his court and his advisor were probably telling him? What? You're going to do that? But you're only required to give one. But it's only one. What do you mean a thousand? If you give up a thousand, then what are we going to do for the rest of the year? What are we going to do? But Solomon personally gave a thousand bulls that day. And you know what happened? That night, God came to him and said, Solomon, I'm honored at what you've given. Now ask of me anything and I will give it to you. Wow. Talk about a genie in the bottle moment. What would you ask for if God himself came to you and said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. So I'm thinking, man, that Louis purse. Oh. Or that was the, the, the Mark tote like all the girls want to have now. Yes, you would know, right? You got, you got on the Christmas list? Uh, I hear she like she's yeah hey, uh, I have a feeling you're gonna get it this year. No. <laughs> what would you ask for? But why would God trust Solomon enough to come down and ask him and tell him, "Give me, ask me anything you want"? Is because Solomon had demonstrated that he had a generous heart, that he wasn't selfish. He realized that if I ask, some, ask him or offer him anything, he's not going to ask for himself. In fact, you know what Solomon asked for? He didn't ask for more wealth. He didn't ask for more riches. He didn't ask for more influence. He didn't ask for more concubines. He already had like 300. Like. But you know what he asked for? He said, God, give me wisdom to be the best leader and the best king that I can possibly be. Why would God do that? Because God saw that his heart was not selfish. He knew that if he would give him that opportunity, he wasn't going to ask for something for himself. He would have asked to be generous. I can assure you that someone who is not an extravagant giver at the highest level is probably not likely for God to come and say, ask me anything. Because giving is a test of your heart. Remember I said it's a test of your obedience, it's a test of your faithfulness, and it's a test of your faith. What did I say? Those are the three levels, obedience, sacrifice, 
and extravagant giving. So I'm going to finish with this. Let me tell you of another extravagant gift in the Bible. It is one that rivals that of David and Solomon. Luke chapter 21, verse 1 and 4, it says, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by, and she dropped in two small coins. Verse 3, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, she gave everything she has. So what was going on is in the temple, you had the religious leaders that they loved to come in with all kinds of fanfare. I remember years ago, um, when my parents were pastoring in Saginaw, Michigan, we did, a, we did a, a, a kid's crusade. And they were having an offering contest. And the way that they would do the offering com- contest, it was the boys and the girls. They created the balance. And the girls' bucket and the boys' bucket would get offering. And whoever, whoever's bucket weighed more, that that would be win. Well, homeboy over here being smart says, you know what? A hundred pennies weighs more than a dollar bill. So I took all of my dollar bills and I turned them into pennies. So I came in with bags and bags of pennies. I said, hey, the boys are going to win. And guess what? We won. Leave it to the pastor's son, right? To outsmart everybody else. We may not have given more, but it weighed more. So that's what these Pharisees would come in. They would come in with their bags and bags of offering. And they would come in with trumpets. And they would come in with fanfare. And they would be like, oh, look at all I'm going to give today. Man, I'm just going to give. Have you ever met somebody that gives and they tell everybody how much they give? I know we don't have nobody like that in this church. But maybe in Del Rio. Don't tell them I said that, okay? And they would come in and they would be bragging about how much they were going to give. And Jesus was at the temple. The Bible says that he was at the temple. And, and he, was, he was watching all these, all these religious rich people come in with all this fanfare. And then all of a sudden this widow comes in. And the Bible says she just gives two coins. And Jesus burst their bubble. He stops the whole show. He says, hey guys, I got news for you. This lady just gave more than you, and they couldn't believe that. Because remember, with God, it's not quantity, it's quality. It's not what you do. It's the intention and the motivation of your heart. And here they were. And and look at this key factor. He says, you give out of your surplus. You give out of what you have left over. You're not giving to me first. You're not honoring me first the way the law says that you should do it. Yeah, you're bringing a lot. But it's not really coming from your heart. You're not giving to honor. You're giving to impress people. And he says, I've got news for you. This widow, as poor as she is, gave all that she had. See, and that poor widow with her offering of just two coins made the extravagant gift list because according to Jesus, it was all she had. It took as much or even more faith for her to give those two coins than it did for David to give $21 billion in gold because it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. See, two pennies pennies or two coins constitute an extravagant gift when it is all you have. 
There's another extravagant gift recorded in the Bible on a remote hilltop in what would one day become Jerusalem. A man named Abraham prepared to offer up his only son. In Genesis 22, I'd call that extravagant. And I'll give you one even better than that. On that same hilltop, 2,000 years later, God himself offered his only begotten son, sinless, as a sacrifice for our freedom and our lives. The most extravagant gift of all time. See, God is the ultimate extravagant giver. He is generous. And he wants to do that same work in our hearts that will make us more like him. I want to show you a quick video. I love what he said. He said, take a leap of faith. Can you imagine? Did you, I heard somebody say, look at their faces. All those people, man, look at what they missed out on because they didn't take that leap of faith. Not only did she get her 600 bucks back, but she got a cell phone, a tablet, tickets, a cake, all of those things because she took a leap of faith. You know what? I want to encourage you for the rest of the year. Take a leap of faith. Step out. When you feel that nudging and that urging to give God, and God is saying, you know what? I want you to give extravagantly. Remember last week we said, ask God of who or whom to sow to or what to sow to. Ask God when you should sow and ask God how much you should sow. Because I guarantee you, just like that lady was surprised, God is going to surprise you with the blessing of harvest when you step out to give. All of those people are thinking, man, I missed out. That could have been me. And I'd hate for you to sit on the sideline and see someone else so blessed. Say, man, I should have given. That should have been me. Only if you would have taken a leap of faith. So I want to encourage you for the rest of this year, let's take a leap of faith together and let's see what God can do in our lives. Will you stand? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the principle of seed time and harvest, the avenue, the principle for producing blessings in our lives. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.